Greetings, scouts and scouters. Are you looking, looking for a great way to give back to scouting? To be on a team educating and entertaining the next generation of scouts? To play the game with a purpose while honing your own scout skills? Learning new things? Making friends? Having fun? And making some money too? If so, Skymont Summer Camp needs you. We're now hiring youth and adult staff for our 50th year of scout camp. And we want to talk with you about joining our golden anniversary team. To apply, go to CherokeeAreaBSA.com and fill out a summer staff application today. The rustle of leaves through the wind. The hoot of an owl. Crickets. The crackle of a well-built campfire. The sounds of nature surround us all. If we can just find it through the noise of everyday life. If you follow the Scout Trail, it'll lead you to nature, to real life skills, leadership, and much more for the youth of our great nation. Welcome to Scout On Chattanooga, a podcast designed to encourage and embrace youth leadership right here in our area. Now, from the scenic city, here's Sean Whitfield, Jared Pickens, and Cubmaster Kyle. Hello and welcome to another edition of Scout on Chattanooga. I am Sean Whitfield. Joining me is the CEO of Boy Scouts of America, Cherokee Area Council, Jared Pickens, and Cubmaster Kyle. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Howdy. Howdy. You're, you're a little bit late. You're a little bit late there, Jared. I was a little late. I, I was, was trying late, to let sorry. you get the big time one in this this to go around. Well, maybe that I was very surprised. <laughs> Your, the inner mini pearl was not channeled yet. Gotcha. <laughs> so, how are you boys doing? Life good. Yeah. Can't Scouting complain. world good. Scouting's great. I know I'm sleeping better than Jared is probably. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. So, for those that don't know, uh, inform everyone why you're not sleeping well. Well, our second child, Jack, arrived January the 17th. Jack so, Alvin. Jack what? Jack Alvin. Yeah. Get y'all back here, Jack Alvin. It's not Jack Come Rabbit. On, Jack Alvin. Jack Rabbit. That, that would have been better. Um, so, so I've got a four-week-old. If you don't mind me asking, yeah. how did you arrive at the name Jack? Um, we, we really didn't. Is there not a story to go with it? It's really not a very good story, honestly. We, okay. we were just looking for kind of classic names, and, you know, it was like, okay. Uh, and I Ashley wanted, Ashley really liked Alvin, but hmm. we already have a Theodore. <laughs> and so she, she almost convinced me to do it. That and I would was like, be really good. Yeah, and then I was like, no, we, oh, no, we can't. They could grow up being the chipmunks. We can't. Well, I told her, I said, we cannot do that. And she goes, why? I said, because everyone's going to wonder where Simon is. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want to be held to that type of responsibility. And, and, and plus, when your boys got in grade school, they would hate you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. So anyway, so um, we knew Alvin would be a good middle name, but we didn't know what a good first name would be. So um, we just, I don't, I don't even know where we found. I was settled on Jack. Uh, I didn't know if he was. You couldn't say he's named after a president like Theodore was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you could. Well, no. We'll see. The Alvin is there, from yeah. Alvin C. York, hmm. great Tennessee. We'll hero. say. We'll say Jack Nicholas. 
you know, the great golfer. <laughs> yeah, he'll get that from me. <laughs> All the golfing skills. <laughs> uh, he but anyway, really so, good at putt putt. But he's doing really good. So yeah, Sean, uh, Sean, I guess that's my what's up, right? Is oh no, I you gotta a, have something better than that. <laughs> you gotta, I gotta We're not pat. gonna let you get off that easy. <laughs> I, I just knew that there was probably some of our listeners uh, today that may not be aware of the big news. That's it's big news. It is big news. We're very happy. So now the proud father of two boys. So will there be a third in the future? Not in the near future. Not in the near future. <laughs> yeah, if, if, I, I didn't know how big the Pickens family was going to become. Pro, uh, it probably depends on whether you ask Jared or Ashley. Gotcha. Well, if well, he says if he says the proper uh, Boy Scouts of America thing, he'll say to keep going just so he can have a whole pack to himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got to get those membership numbers up, Jared. <laughs> yeah, before you end your career and you reach retirement, you got to get those numbers up. Right. Yeah, but before I reach retirement. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. That's just a nice way to say. Sean, that's just a nice way to say you're going to be with us forever. <laughs> 78 more years. <laughs> I don't know unless the unless the board we uh, vote you off or something. That's true. But I can't imagine you could. that. Well, to that'd vote, be, to vote you have to show up for board meetings, Sean. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, wait a minute. I, I've been at the last couple. Matter of fact, I'm going to be at the one that happens today. Well, now that's a commitment right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm a dedicated board member. He's going to hike to it too for more from this podcast location. <laughs> oh, Jared is? Yeah. No, you are. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice little brisk walk just out yeah. down the you parking wear, lot. You didn't wear your blue jeans, though. No, but I got some rubber sole shoes, so I'm in okay. good shape. Okay, so. all right, good. But uh, you did mention what's up, so let's <laughs> hey, let's dive right into that. Our what's up segment is where we go around the studio and we share one thing that's going on in our world, and it gives you, our listener, the opportunity to get to know us just a little bit better. So with that said, Kyle, what's up with you? Man, it's tough for me because I don't know necessarily what to do. I have kind of two things going on right now. And I like telling everybody, you know, about cool things in my life. But I also, you know, like being real with people, too. And for the last several months, I've been really having a hard time sleeping. Like can't stay asleep. Um, My wife says that I snore a lot. Well, over the last month, I've actually been going to a sleep, you know, disorder place, and turns out that I have like mild to moderate sleep apnea. So there you go. I get to start wearing a CPAP machine. <laughs> huh? You know, there's <laughs> and a, I had to go big it up earlier today. Um, so you like haven't the test one. So um, I, I mean, that's something that I'm sure a lot of people listening mm-hmm. struggle with. I know I struggle with that. So what? I mean, what? what's the procedures of determining you have a sleep problem i guess once identifying it in two then yeah. then what well um what i did was i just i told my primary care physician you know the troubles that i was having and he said well let's refer you to a sleep specialist you know let me know some ones that are under your insurance and i'll pick which one i believe is you know the best to send you to yeah so uh i went to one on lee highway um, they have offices all over the place, though, uh, and had like a 45 minute conversation and had to fill out multiple pieces of paper that were essentially the same questions asked in different ways. You know, them trying to determine what's going on because, you know, sleep problems can be as low as restless leg syndrome, which is something that I've actually had for years and years. But come to find out, mine was sleep apnea. So. 
uh, was supposed to do an in-lab test, um, and it was actually scheduled for March, and I tried getting them to do it early, and they said, well, we have an in-home thing that you can try. So I actually got to go into my house, and I had to wear this thing and you know a thing on my finger to get my oxygen levels and stuff and actually i had that just a couple of days ago i had um the follow-up to it and it's scary like apparently when i was having these apneic episodes which were an average of 12 times an hour that night that i wore it um, my oxygen was dropping as low as 72 and to tell you any normal people are 94 to 98 ish on your oxygen level so 72 that doesn't mean that it means that i'm not breathing very well no wonder i wasn't sleeping well it was waking me up because i would literally stop breathing mm. so wow it's kind of scary i took that and then today i got a, a machine that changes the pressures during the night or whatever and you use that for 30 days and it shows you what your pressure should be sat at and then I get the normal machine to stay with after that. So. so you will have to wear a mask, I guess? Yeah, yeah. It was a mask that almost like plugs up my nose, but it goes over my face. And they have different ones, but I tend to breathe through my mouth when I'm sleeping. Um, I'm a mouth breather, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Sean, I'm just picturing Cubmaster Kyle with the bane children oh, children follow me so so does this does this make noise no it was actually they turned it when i was i'm thinking sean what do you mean does it make noise yeah, but this well, no, what, they so because my mom these had one growing up make yeah. noise, oh you mean like the where it, the machine the pressure yeah, machine. yeah. Because i thought you meant the mask <laughs> mrs croft no. may not be able to sleep well if they're in the same room no so my mom had one growing up and you could hear that thing from the other room it was so loud oh wow but this one is small and when they so they plugged the hose into it earlier and you couldn't hear it at all the only thing that you could hear was when i was exhaling you could hear a like a small little whirl coming from around the mask or whatever is it funny hmm. <laughs> no it's is not it high fun- pitched or anything is it a, but is it like a funny whirl this is i I, i'm very interested in this because i struggle with sleeping i'm telling you Um, it's it's worth it to go get tested that's pretty incredible one problem i would have is i sleep on my stomach Mm -hmm. Mm. and with this it doesn't sound like you can do that no they have them made for uh they ask me how i sleep and i said that i always start out on my side and will sometimes be on my back and they said well we they make ones that are made for which ways you sleep. So wow. if you sleep on your stomach a lot, they'll yeah, make one that kind of turns to the side. I thought they'd just get you like one of those uh, donut floats and you just put your head in the middle. <laughs> so it's the mask can... <laughs> Sean, no, like I, and <laughs> I, I Come mean, on, Sean. You could convince me of anything. I'm still learning about yeah. this. <laughs> but, I mean, I was very interested in how all of it... They said yeah. that they said that I stopped breathing 97 times in seven hours. Wow. Well, I'm like glad. That's scary when you think it about it. It is scary. I'm glad you're yeah. getting it sorted out. And that's great. And I'm, I'm, actually, yeah. so, I'm actually really excited to see what your level of productivity is going to be like once you actually sleep. Sleep better. Like, I mean, yeah. that's, that's like, you know, that's pretty well, they said, amazing. Like, 
you know, I've had some weight gain here lately and some stuff like that too. And they said that it very well could be not being good enough sleep, like mm-hmm. your metabolism. It doesn't have a chance yeah. to rest, so it doesn't work as hard during the day as you would like it to. Mm-hmm. All kinds of stuff. So mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago, when I started to have sleep issues, I realized one day it must be those monster energies at about five or five thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> it's not very wise <laughs> to drink. <laughs> that would cause a little bit of a tr- problem Whew. when you're sleeping. Yeah. There's nothing so. like a good sugar-free monster energy to get you going, though. So now I have one of those every morning. It's like my cup of coffee. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. A sugar-free, ultraviolet monster energy. Hey, Kyle. And I know it's, if I've got a bad habit, that's probably the one bad habit that I have. So you know who's not listening to this podcast right now but should? Who's that? You know. Who? The, the living legend herself, Mrs. Monster Energy, Barbara Edwards. <laughs> Barbara consumes more she monster more, energy. Yeah. Oh, really? And we always, uh, yeah, we call it Barbara juice. Is it the uh, sugar In kind, the, though? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she does the sugar-free ones most of the time. Yeah. But she gets the ginormous ones that even have the replaceable cap on them. Like, that's oh, how man. big a one she's drinking. Those are like 32 ounces, I think. Yeah. So. It's that and wrap snacks for some reason. She loves wrap hey, snacks. Hey, listen, don't hate on those? the wrap snacks. We get those from Sam's Club, brother. Mm. So, Sean, what is up with you, man? Man, I thought I was going to ask you that now. I, yes, I did it. I did it first. <laughs> you broke You broke the trend. I did. I did. Uh, you know, we, we got everything in uh, completed with the construction here at Whitfield Media Group. So. Looks beautiful. Well, beautiful. Encourage so, anyone to reach out that's interested in uh, podcasting studio. Yeah, it's for a studio for, for podcasting and radio. We do both here. Uh, our location is in the Enterprise Business Park, just behind the Boy Scout headquarters. And by the way, it's made me realize just how much activity goes on at the Boy Scout office. Because I'm here a lot of times at night, and I've noticed that there's always, not always, but many nights of the week, there's something going on at the Boy Scout headquarters. Mm-hmm. And yep. and I didn't expect that. Yep. I thought it was like an eight to five operation. I didn't have any idea you know, it was used after normal business hours. There's a reason we call it the, the Scout <clears throat> Service Center and not just the Scout office all the time, because while there are some people who work there and the Scout store is there where you can purchase your materials and goods that you need for scouting um it's open i'd say two or three times a week you know for different groups whether it's the order of the arrow is going to have yeah. their meeting or we've got a training we even have scout reach um groups that'll use it from time to time for meetings yeah after you know they need a meeting place they don't have a normal meeting place so we try to arrange that that's good because as you know i have to go right by there going in and out uh, headed uh, you know in and out of my offices but uh life is is good i'm ready for a beach vacation matter of fact i'm counting the days for that Woo. um especially now that we're getting a little bit warmer weather if we could just eliminate some of this rain mm-hmm. it would even be that much better mm-hmm. but uh, i'm very blessed and uh, very thankful that's fantastic so, jared what is up with you sir well aside from the fact that i have a four-week-old that's that's been a a, a <clears throat> I mean, I guess pretty much everything that is what's up with me right now is that. Um, but as a part of that, I'm spending more time with my son, Theodore. And uh, Kyle, you'll be pleased to know this, that me and him went on our first hike together Ooh. Saturday. Where'd y'all go? We did rifle pits to Guild Trail on um, on Lookout, about halfway up. You know, you get out Craven's house. Yeah. 
Um, so special thanks to some folks who uh, recommended that trail, and it was a good little loop. And let me tell you, about three quarters through, Theodore was like, "Is this all? Is this all there is? We need to do more." About seven eighths the way through. Oh, I'm too tired. I can't continue on. So it was the perfect length for his kindergarten legs. Yeah. And uh, got to climb on some rocks, and that was great. Awesome. Yep. Very cool. All right. That sounds great. Hey, we've got a guest coming up here in just a moment. And this next guest, uh, he is a part of something that Chattanooga does very well with, and that's Parks and Outdoors. So we're going to be talking to Scott Martin from Chattanooga Parts and Outdoors. He's going to be joining us here after the break. It is time for a quick break. For Jared Pickens, Cupmaster Kyle, I'm Sean Whitfield, and more Scout on Chattanooga to come after this brief message. We'll be back with more. This is Scout on Chattanooga, the podcast. For more than 100 years, the Order of the Arrow has recognized scouts and scout leaders who best exemplify the scout oath and law in their daily lives. Arrow men are known for maintaining camping traditions and spirit and for providing cheerful service to others. OA service, activities, adventures, and training for youth and adults are models of quality leadership, development, and programming that enrich and help to extend scouting to America's youth. For more info on the OA and scouting in our area, visit CherokeeAreaBSA.com. Hey folks, I'm Michael Walton here with your Outdoor Minute. I know everyone knows the outdoor code. As an American, I will do my best to be clean in my outdoor manners, be careful with fire, be considerate in the outdoors, and be conservation-minded. But I've definitely been to my fair share of scouting events with overflowing trash cans and couldn't help but think that we aren't being clean in our outdoor manners and conservation-minded. A few years ago, our unit started reminding folks that they need to bring a mess kit to all of our events with food, not just campouts. We stopped buying disposables after that and haven't looked back since. It saves our unit money, keeps from filling the trash cans at the church or park, also gives us that little campout feel at all of our events. Give it a try at your next cookout if you aren't already doing it regularly. If you have any tips for practicing the outdoor code with your unit, send an email or voice file to info at greenspaceschattanooga.org and you might be on our next Outdoor Minute. Now back to Scout on Chattanooga. As we continue Scout on Chattanooga, I am Sean Whitfield along with Jared Pickens and Cubmaster Kyle. And gentlemen, we have another guest joining us here on this edition of Scout on Chattanooga. And uh, Jared... We'll let you introduce our guest since uh, he is someone that you've gotten to know uh, for a while now. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so excited to introduce our audience to Scott Martin, who has a lot of titles, but the main one is that he is the grand potentate, the, the head honcho, el presidente. Are, are these all terms that we could use? Administrator. He's the administrator <laughs> for Chattanooga's. I finally got it right for you. Chattanooga's <laughs> Department of Parks and Outdoors. And so I'm really excited. I got to meet Scott. Um, how long have you been in town now? About eight months? No, a year. Oh my Solid gosh, year. it's been a year? Been as of last week. So um, I think I connected with Scott um, shortly after he got to town. Mm-hmm. Um, had seen a press release and um, you know was just so interested because in scouting we use a lot of outdoor spaces and um, wanted to learn more about them. And, and since then, I've seen Scott at just about every public meeting or appearance and he gave a, a fantastic presentation at Downtown Rotary Club about four months ago, I want to say it was, and uh, we're very, very lucky that he was willing to join us on the cast today, so thank you, Scott, and welcome. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. 
So, Scott, one thing that caught my attention, Chattanooga Parks and Outdoors. It used to be called Chattanooga Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Uh, why the name change? Yeah, very intentional pivot. I mean, what, what distinguishes us from every other community, and I'll name some lame ones like Dayton and Toledo, is it's our outdoors. So integrating the outdoors into the parks, into recreation, into arts, just makes a lot of sense for saying, this is what distinguishes us. Mm-hmm. And this is what makes probably anybody that even has a slight bit of a soul when you're driving around town, at some point you come over hill and you go, man, we're lucky to live here. Mm. Um, and we're trying just to always recenter ourselves there don't forget it and realize that you know it's something we can really take advantage of and maximize before we dive into what your department's all about i I know the job brought you to town but tell us a little bit about yourself yeah a brief overview i think for the scout folks it's important my dad was an eagle scout and my father-in-law was a life scout um and so scouting i I wasn't a scout i went to military school for high school so that was the end of scouting for me but um and and a few other things as you can imagine Uh, (laughs) but but, um the uh the the key for my story if i have one is uh, i'm a kid of southern appalachia as well my family's roots are southwest virginia and lived a few places and fortunately or unfortunately, I, ha- I spent the last about 11 years uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, building parks as a nonprofit leader and, and not doing it the government way, but doing it with businesses and philanthropy and groups like this. And that's really what I think the secret sauce is, is these partnerships that produce these great open spaces, these parks, the programs and the activities and the opportunity to come to Chattanooga is a singular one. In my profession, and people think it's weird, but it's so true. In my profession, if you're a parks director, whatever you are, um, the Chattanooga job is viewed at the same light as your San Francisco and your Seattle's, is the quality of the amenities here, the quality of our built environment, the ecological setting, the various cultures. Uh, this is one of the primo jobs. And the opportunity to join this team and putting the Parks Department together again, um, because it had been you know kind of fracked in some different locations, but really unify it, uh, is terrifying every day, <laughs> um, but is also a, a great opportunity to say, what if we built a city around its best assets, which are its people, its parks, its recreation, its outdoors? Yeah. Had you been to Chattanooga before? I had. I had. I'd been to Chattanooga. Um, my wife and I are both whitewater kayakers, so you're going to come through Chattanooga at some point. Um, my wife, it's funny, Jennifer, she did missions here in the late 80s. I'm dating ourselves now a bit. but And they stayed at what is now Common House when it was still the downtown Y. She oh, called yeah. it the pink building. And she remembers being locked in there at night mm. um, when they were doing the mission work through, I guess, uh, it's still New City Fellowship here. And um, and and we came back to town and we drove by. And she's like, wow, that, that looks familiar, but I can't. This does not seem like the same city was basically her observation uh-huh. all over the place. So. Wow. Yeah, and, and in 1997, when I graduated from college, now I'm talking too much, uh, in Boise, um, the director who's my mentor to this day, we wrote down a list of nine cities across the U.S. where we go, you know, it'd be great to be a parks director, and, and you're looking for a city that's big enough uh, with the capacity to do stuff, um, has a culture that fits parks, cares about it, isn't faking it, um, but isn't too big that it's not bureaucratic or like the politics or just this all-consuming thing. And in 1997, we put Chattanooga on that list. Um, so it took me 30 years to get here, but I, I finally got it done. So I, I hope they don't toss me out. <laughs> but hey, you got here eventually, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it just takes a while. It takes. And a while. you know, I, and and I share a lot of that same sentiment with you, Scott. Sands the 30 years, um, I got lucky. And uh, you know, Kyle, we've talked about how me and my wife really wanted to be here in this particular Boy Scout Council mm-hmm. for many of the mm-hmm. same reasons that you're talking about, Scott. And so, sorry for in, injecting a bit of a personal commentary there, but I agree with what you're saying about how special a place the Tennessee Valley in Chattanooga is, certainly. Yeah, and you got to be a place where it matters. I mean, this stuff has consequences, and it matters, and you got to care, and you got to bleed it, and you got to live it. 
Otherwise, what's the point? Scott, so, I think some of... Uh, go ahead, Kyle. Well, got. I was just going to say, so, you know, we know that you live and bleed the outdoors. Um, can you think of one or two different experiences that you had at a as a youth that kind of led you to, to that lifestyle mm. of even wanting to work full-time in the outdoors and in parks? Yeah, and let me be just a guy. I'm very lucky in life. Um, I knew what I wanted to do from probably birth. Like, I wanted to be outdoors. Because I, gotcha. I have just enough ADD that school and I didn't get along well together. Hence the military mm-hmm. school comment earlier, probably. But um, I'm an outdoorsy person. I think, really, if you're looking for this formulative, um, touchy moments. When I was in military schools in Waynesboro, Virginia, in the Valley, um, our church youth leader was a big fly fisherman and hiker. And he would take okay. me on Sundays when you could get out of the uniform and become a civilian. And for like a 15 or 16 year old kid, that's a pretty big deal and just be human. And we'd go up on the St. Mary's wilderness and we'd go into these creeks way up and just fish. And to, the, to this day, those are probably some of my most, most important memories. And then the other one was going to school in Boise, Idaho. Um, I grew up in Virginia, my dad was in local government. So I thought government was this thing where you just you, you just do processes, and then if it was really serious, it was a, mm-hmm. the governor would fly in in the helicopter with the cardboard check, and that was serious government. Well, when I was in Boise, uh, they didn't do economic development incentives at all. They wouldn't write companies checks. They said, we're gonna build a great place to live and just trust the rest to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. To the point we had a, it's so stupid, but when you're 21 years old, you'll do anything. When a company came in one time, they put me out in the middle of the Boise River, uh, in a blazer with waders on fly fishing. And they were kind of, look, this is just how we spend our lunch days here. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just a test that, you know, Martin's a moron, he'll do anything. But um, but that was a real big moment, the idea that you can build livable cities by building green space. And, and to totally nerd out, uh, if folks think of New York City, that's what Frederick Law Olmsted taught us with Central Park in New York. That's what they taught us in San Francisco with Golden Gate Park. Mm-hmm. All over our nation, our greatest, most livable cities are actually fundamentally built around green spaces. And can you imagine, I can't imagine living in New York City, period, but can you imagine would Manhattan be inhabitable today without Central Park? It's hard to picture it. Could you raise a family there without Central Park? People mm-hmm. raise families there. So that's really the professional point is if we get the green stuff right, and this isn't hippy dippy hug a tree stuff. This is hardcore. How do we build spaces where people can be healthy? How do we build spaces where they can get to know each other? Um, how can they build spaces that, that give you clean air and clean water? Uh, sure enough, you'll find successful communities where people want to live, and I think Chattanooga is a phenomenal example of that. So how do you think that Chattanooga could be better at that? Well, that's a great question, uh, and you just teed that up brilliantly. We didn't even preset it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you just had to ask. You just had to ask, but let me tell you, we have some ideas. Um, we've been engaged with the community over the last year of doing a, a big master plan for the city to ask that very, very question, what's next? And we'll be unveiling that uh, through this spring. because I think, And I think we owe it to each other to always shoot straight. Um, the city did some remarkable things on its waterfront about 20 years ago. And then if we're all shooting straight, not a lot happened since then. Yeah, mm-hmm. particularly out in our suburbs, um, we are about 600 acres short of parklands we should have for a city our size. Hmm. That surprises people because yeah. everyone thinks of Chattanooga's outdoor reputation. Uh, 35% of our community can walk to a park. The national average is 55%. Oh wow! Um, about 8% of Chattanooga is set aside as parks or open space, compared to the national average of 15%. So we've got some gaps to fill, and we're going to lay out some ideas. And I think Tim Kelly uh, brought us in and put this team back together to, to ask that question, because if we do this and we attack it, you can actually shape the city instead of having the city shape you. And I think we all look up the road a little bit, and we look down the road a little bit, and we go, yeah, don't want to be Atlanta, don't want to be Nashville, we want to be Chattanooga. Um, how can we be you know, better, perhaps, more than bigger? 
and we think the green space, the trails, the greenways, these livable spaces where I can go out and hit a ball, where I can go out and play pickleball, mm-hmm. where I can go do these things. Mm-hmm. We get it right. We got I still think we have a chance to really get it right and not build the biggest city in America. That's not our gig. But what if we built the best city? Yeah. And it, you know, I think people here are really drawn to that. Well, Scott, I can tell you, um, Kyle and I talk about this because Kyle gives me tips as I'm a new Lion Cub Scout den leader for my son, Theodore, who's five. Most of my Cub Scout den meetings have been um, at a local church playground because there's not a park yeah. in in my vicinity of my neighborhood that's as good as that playground, right? Like there's there's a little green space, but it's not nearly as useful as, as that other portion. And so I'm interested in, in, you talk about this private-public partnership, right? So, so what specific ways are you guys going to be suggesting that we be looking at those specific city areas or public areas? Yeah, and and yeah, I not to steal politics, but we have to say it is is government shouldn't uh, and never will solve all the problems we got to solve. So you, you take that off table and go, where can we though with our public resources be a force multiplier so they'll they may tee it up and then a lot of good stuff to happen around it. So things like activating schoolyards as parks is a no brainer. Working with developers, developers are partners, partners and allies. How can we help them set aside green space that everyone can use that can add value um, and let the market work with us there? How can we lean into the economic impact of special events and deploy those hotel taxes that come into our community from tourists who we love having here, but then deploy those resources to build a better community for all of us that live here afterwards? Those are all the sort of different pieces we want to look at. Um, and if you go zoom out even further, it doesn't have to be on public land. Um, and, and just to nerd out, you know, it's, it's about our yards. If we plant in our yards, why would we plant a non-native? Why don't we plant a native plant that our local birds, our local butterflies need for habitat? If we all just make a lot smarter little decisions along that way, before you know it, you just have a greener and healthier community. It's not, it's not that we don't know the information anymore. We really actually do. It's a matter, though, of making it a way that you can actually turn it into action in your life and just make it easy. And I think those are some of the ways that we can do it. And, and, and then we just have to program what we have. Look, we're not going to get 600 acres tomorrow. Let's, let's not, especially with what land costs in Chattanooga today. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's look at a road. All a road is is a public asset that we privilege for cars. Well, that choice of privileging, we, we turn on and off. Uh, what if we close down some roads and turn them into parks on weekends? Um, you know, we can get just a little bit of a different rise and, and you begin to see your city live a little differently. Scott, I've got two questions. The first, how many parks are in Chattanooga? Mm-hmm. And two, is Outdoor Chattanooga part of your organization? Yeah, the first one. All right, wait, let's do a, let's do a fun. How many, let's do a guess around the room. We'll see who gets close to the winner, gets a moon pie. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got Kyle excited. <laughs> but, pri- but we play price of rules, or pri- the price is right rules. You, can, you can't go over, okay? So it's showcase showdown time. Okay. Wow. All right, so how many parks do you think are in Chattanooga? I'm going to say 25. I'm going to go 50. Mm. 32. The correct answer, 81. Wow. Congrats, John. I knew that was probably the best kept secret. (laughs) Well, I I I used to serve on the advisory board for the Hamilton County Parts and Rec. Mm -hmm. And so I I got more familiar with Chattanooga's Parts and Rec because of comparing the county to the city. But yeah, that's a surprising number to most people, I'm sure. So... The, you, there was another question. The question was, is outdoor chat part of it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of folks who are listening remember Philip Grimes, who passed away and was really the founder and creator of that program. And we're building on his legacy. In fact, just named the building outdoor chat there in Coolidge Park uh, in memory of Philip and his contribution. 
and now we're accelerating it. So we have a new director, uh, Gail Loveland was just hired. She is a was a national nonprofit leader, has worked in the ski industry and the accessible recreation industry from Salt Lake to Seattle to Vermont and all over. And her family relocated here a couple years ago because guess what? Great quality of life and outdoors in Colorado and uh, Chattanooga not Colorado. Um, so she is taking the lead. She's now staffing up the position and uh, really pivoting with a new strategic plan, really a couple pivots. Um, one is an acknowledgement that the pandemic did change everything. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of folks that are going back, oh, we're going back to what we were. We're, we're not, we're, spoiler alert, we're not going back. I just got our basketball numbers for basketball leagues. Believe it or not, we were down close to 30% on pre-pandemic numbers for participation this year. So we're not seeing the same number. Outdoor recreation, zooming off the roof. And I think everyone listening to this knows that you couldn't even get into a national park a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Very tough to get today. So people connected with the outdoors in a different way. So it's not so much introducing them. It's going to be introducing what you can do locally and close to home. And then what I'm really intrigued with in Gale is, is how do we grow the outdoor industry economy in Chattanooga? There should be manufacturers, innovators, creators, building the next mountain bike, the next kayak, uh, adventure travel tourism industry. Chattanooga is a great base of operation to create those jobs because of our aesthetic and because of the workforce you can attract here who wants to live somewhere like this where they can go climbing after work. Mm-hmm. Um, there are days here where you can kayak in the morning, hike in the afternoon and climb in the in the evening and do it five minutes from your house. That's very unusual and that's a really a competitive advantage for our community. Scott Pickleball, the popularity. I've been wanting to know about this pickleball thing. The popularity has skyrocketed. Yes. How is Chattanooga involved in that? It was really sneaky, wasn't it? We got the pandemic, and then behind the pandemic, no one talked about it was pickleball. Yeah. The second pandemic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, get, we get so much trouble for that. Uh, so we're, we, no, it, it is. It is the biggest trend right now in uh, urban recreation. Uh, so you're going to see us begin conversion. Batter's Place is going to get a pickleball facility. First one to see Chattanooga. Hopefully open, knocking on wood, um, with our public works great team there this summer. Um, so that'll bring us some facilities. And then in the Parks and Outdoors plan, we actually recommend some pretty big conversions to bring that into play as well. What's, what I love about pickleball, there's a lot to love about it. It Every age group loves it. The confidence that you see people build, the low barrier of entry, you don't need to have a lot of equipment or gear or something special. It's a remarkable, and it's social. I mean, you see people just hang out and meet each other. So we're all about it. We're all engaged. We love it. We actually have a certified pickleball instructor, uh, Orlando, who runs our Champions Tennis Facility, but it's racket sports, so he can instruct as well. So Mm -hmm. we're following. I think we're a little behind, um, frankly, and we got some catch up to do, but but I feel like we're in a good position. Nationwide, pickleball is just out the roof. Mm -hmm. To give you an example, I play racquetball weekly and have been for almost 10 years. I used to pick up racquetballs and my rackets at Dick Sports and Academy Sports. They have eliminated all racquetball products and replaced every bit of it with pickleball. Yeah. And now wow, pickleball tournaments are on ESPN. Matter of fact, I watched one over the weekend. So you laugh that pickleball may not be that big a deal. But if you start looking and following it, yeah. Man, it has become huge. Mm. It is huge. And we're, we're in our professional recreation, we're agnostic on the sport. We really don't care what sport you play. I hate, spoiler alert, we just want yeah. you doing something with your friends outdoors mm-hmm. that's healthy. Right. Mm. And I think some folks laughed at Dr. James Naismith when he put a peach basket up, too. And so sports come and go and they change. Our job is to adapt, to move. If you got hard services, put different lines on it, meet the customer where they are. So, so, yeah. so Sean, what I hear you saying. So I'm going to try it. I have never played, but I'm going to try it. I, I, well, you know who? Steve Ledbetter, you know, 
is a big oh, pickleball yeah. guy. He's a pickleballer. Um, for you guys know the Ledbetters. Um, what I was going to say is it's very clear based on what both of you have said that pickleball is clearly a big deal. Yes. For sure. There you go. That was definitive. Like a dill yeah. pickle? <laughs> <laughs> I caught it. I caught that. Yeah, Thanks, thank Kyle. You. Thanks. It's I, a big deal so, pickle. <laughs> so uh, that's a sport I think Kyle would even enjoy playing. Dill could pickleball? You play, could pickleball. you play it in uh could you play it in cowboy boots though? Oh, yeah. You can you can play in cowboy boots, not in gym shorts. Oh. Yeah. You can do it oh. in all the above. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually wearing pants today. Scott, I know I'm proud of you, Ben. Scott, what is uh a few of the best kept secrets of Ch- Chattanooga Parts and Outdoors that a lot of our listeners would have no idea about, but it is really mm. important information. Wow. Anything that comes to mind? Well, I think, I, I mean, my quick learnings are the amount of wildlife in our urban core here is really stunning. And and it, if you if you don't pay attention, it washes over you. Um, there's a site I love, the Brainerd Levee off the South Chick Trail, um, that is one of the hot, one of the top birding spots in all of Eastern Tennessee. In fact, it's higher than many of the spots in the Smokies. And it's right here in downtown Chattanooga. I mean, we have National Geographic quality wildlife habitat in our urban core. Um, the Amnicola wetland, if you walk by that uh, over the next couple of weeks, it'll just scream at you. And it's easy. I, uh, folks that are lucky to have grown up here, um, maybe it just washes over. And, you know, we get blind to where we live and the magic mm-hmm. of and the beauty of where we are. I'm, uh, so I still have newcomers eyes. Um, but listen to me. It is it is Serengeti. It is it is National Geographic. Who's the guy from England with that great voice? You know, the David McCullough, whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Attenborough. Attenborough. David Attenborough. I mean, it is that level that you can walk to anywhere in our city. And, mm-hmm. and that's extraordinary. The second thing to me is the, uh, the history of human settlement here. I mean, to be in a place that's been settled for 12,000 years and to feel the weight. And if you just open up your soul or your heart anywhere in this town, I don't want to get all deep, but you can feel the presence of the human story in Chattanooga unlike most places in the U.S. because there's been such a long history of settlement here. 12,000 years of settlement. You're talking about going back to like Australia for Aboriginal settlements in in the length of time. And then the story of the Spaniards, the story of slavery, the story of the Civil War, the story of the Civil Rights Movement, the story of our new Americans coming to to us today and the changing it. You, if you feel these cultures and you let them wash over you and we embrace them as we do in the South and you realize that this stew that we've created is like the most powerful gumbo you can possibly imagine. And if we add that to the ecology and then the community, yeah, I'm the idealistic one, but they're, all the secret bits and pieces, all those little special bits and pieces are here and they're scalable and they're accessible. That's that's not something you get in Boston. That's mm. not something you get in San Francisco. Wow. That's a unique piece to us. And it's something that Atlanta will never get either. Um, the right. ability to tap into it. So I think it's a spectacular place. And to tie it to scouting, you have it. You have adventures for scouting in your home city. You don't have to leave. Um, and that's a that's a pretty special. Deal. Our trick, our challenge, to answer your question, we need to do a better job of opening people's eyes and guiding them to it. We need to do a little hand holding to wake people up and go, "Hey, did you look at this?" Or, "Hey, have you noticed this?" Ha- this and and that's what we're going to spend some time working on over the next years telling that story and getting people outdoors at the I right know time. where you can create a good podcast to tell that story. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Scott, you've alluded to this several times, but you haven't hit it head on. Uh, tell us a little bit about the acreage deficit. It's a lot. 
highly scientific. But it's very it's interesting. Not important. <laughs> so you did this, but you did this. You did this. This analysis, of, yeah. right? Of all, and you know, you alluded to it earlier about you know percentages. But yeah, what what are we what are we looking at in acreage? What are we at now? And yeah, and, what are the numbers? And by the way, if you're not measuring, it doesn't matter. So we, we got to hold ourselves accountable to this stuff. Uh, we're 1,400 acres is in the system right now. We're about 600 acres short of where we should be today for a city our size. Well, I, I've got. We've got to also shoot straight. The decisions we make today are what people are going to count on tomorrow. If we project our population out to 2050, where we think it's going to be, which is 300,000 ish, is we're probably closer to 1,200 acres short. Sounds um, like a property tax increase to me. Or a lot of gifts. <laughs> a lot of gifts. A lot of gifts. Commissioner a, a Whitfield, gifts. back to you. <laughs> yeah. So it's um it's interesting. Well, you know, you, you you won't get you didn't get in trouble overnight. It's like saving for retirement. You know, you can't you can't just rush it at the very end. Uh, you just start chipping away at it as, as you go. But I think it's the first time we've actually taken a hard look and said, where are we and where should we be? I see a lot. I'm optimistic by my nature. Um, I see a lot of pathways forward on getting it done. I see a lot of collaboration. The, the spirit of giving, the spirit of love in this community, and I use love intentionally, is very real. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways to get there and, and some low-hanging fruit. But we have a lot of city-owned land. The city just is right now, we're doing our first inventory, which is crazy. No business person would run their business this way. But we're doing our first inventory of what do we have asset-based and how's it being deployed? Well, spoiler alert, there's going to be north of 1,000 acres that the city owns for whatever reason that's not being used for park, for economic development, for housing. How can we deploy those lands? And bringing that analysis in may get us some wins. Um, right off the table without a cost to the taxpayer right off the mm -hmm. bat or, or it was paid for by previous taxpayer so everything's on the table and then the partnership piece with the land trusts in the area reflection riding the tva the national park service we have a lot of colleagues a lot of friends in the space and so so i think we're going to get there well i'm i'm looking forward to to seeing what is developed sean doesn't believe me because he just hasn't seen it but i play soccer every sunday Except for the past four Sundays, because I had a baby four weeks ago, Sean. I know you're counting. Um, but I actually played Sunday, I guess. I'm holding you accountable. And, That's and, what uh, friends are for. That's right. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> but I play uh, pickup soccer in a city park, a prominent city park, every Sunday. And we often have the conversation, is this really the best place? But there isn't really another place. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested in like looking at the diversity that you know you need to bring to the table from mm -hmm. trails to open to game space do you have any theory or any analysis on that looking forward? What, what gets developed first? Are these spaces going to yeah. actually? Well, we have a 300-page document about ready <laughs> to uh, go, into, okay. go into more weeds than you want. But ultimately, it is a question for the community. We, I can nerd this thing out and give you all the nerd answers. Um, but ultimately, the community has to decide through its elected officials and policymakers, where do we want to invest and how do we want to invest? I, you know, little fun stories. We are, I'll get the number wrong, but the scale will be right. Uh, I think we're 35 soccer fields short in this community for where we should be. Um, I think we, we have a surplus of tennis courts, quite frankly. I think we're, we have 50-ish uh, more courts than we need. So we have these weird balances. We don't have a cricket pitch. And for a city our size not to have a cricket pitch is kind of surprising. Um, so we have some weird and fun and funky stuff to play with. And then you have the special little part about Chattanooga. There's no standards for mountain bike trails. But in Chattanooga, we, we should have a standard for hiking trails and mountain bike trails because we like to get out and do that stuff. So where can we add those? 
we're working with the access fund to go where are climbing sites bouldering sites in the city's limits that we should go out and get now to protect so they can always be publicly accessible mm. um, so we have the chattanooga flavor that starts to show up as well and the park you're playing soccer at is just fine keep playing they've only kicked this out they've only kicked this out like twice so yeah you're fine twice, yeah. two times kick out you fine. did help you did help us once at did least I? at least once and that yes. was a mistake yeah you did you didn't help <laughs> you. You, didn't, you didn't know you helped us but you helped us uh, clearly a mistake yeah. on my part scott what is what is the annual budget for parks for per year for the city of chattanooga yeah we're right at about 12 million a year all in to run the whole system gotcha and I guess it's still short of where you need it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just um, scale-wise, uh, our maintenance crew does a phenomenal job with what they have. Um, there are about 17 employees assigned to the riverfront parks and the river walk and all that. Well, there are about 17 employees assigned to the rest of the city. Wow. So the imbalance we spoke of is very real. And you don't have to drive around town to see it very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our most visited park, and this will surprise people per capita, per acre, I think our most visited park is actually Heritage Park. And that surprises people when I say that, um, but it is pounded because it is the only green space in that part of the town. It's just crushed with people, very popular. And then, but if you go, and I'm not trying to be the sad trombone, but you go to a Tyner, you go to a Boulevard Park, you see the work that we have to do where you can have these sparkling, shiny things in our Secord that we have to have because they drive our tourism, they drive our identity, they're iconic, not only to Chattanooga, they're iconic to Tennessee and the American South is that view of Chattanooga. The, the Walnut Street Bridge is a iconic American landscape now. Um, but we have to, and we have to do more, not but, it's and we have to push that out into our neighborhoods. One thing that I've noticed, I live in East Brainerd. I spend a pretty good amount of time at Heritage Park, but one thing I've recognized over the years, all the growth, or a large portion of the growth has been on the east side of the city. Mm-hmm. But Heritage Park is the only park. Yeah. So there's a real void for parks in the east side of the city and there's such a substantial growth going on yeah and 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 you'll be glad to know the mapping and data show that out and let me just give my background um not to bore people but i lived in boise idaho for about 12 years and boise doubled in population while i was there and um very conservative republican don't want to spend money tax uh community pretty typical for the west libertarian Um, but there was a very keen awareness that if we don't get this land now we're never going to get it back we're if we don't get it ahead of development anticipate it we're not going to get it back I'm, I'm starting to pick that same narrative up here which is hey we love chattanooga we moved here for this but if we don't start getting it it ain't coming back you know if new york city is a great model you're not gonna build central park today you couldn't even go in there into manhattan and try to get an acre so we're starting to see that sort of thinking to your point about the growth is there and it's coming mm-hmm. the other growth i think we should lean into is let's prepare for success this is going to be a great dynamic growing town there are too many great fundamentals here and that's awesome. I think that's why we're all here, right? I mean, we, we're we not in Dayton. I hope no one from Dayton's listening. I don't know why I always pick on Ohio. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. If I can't it's Ohio. Up, it's, the, it's the Big Ten. Who cares? Um, Amen, brother. <laughs> but but yeah, so what do we get right and how do we prepare for success in our own way? And I'm optimistic. I've, I've been here a year, uh, council universally, uh, civic leaders. Everyone's like, yeah, What the question to me is never why can't. It's like, what can we do better? Yeah. It's neat. That's a neat opportunity. Yeah. So, Kyle, you got one more? Well, yeah, just before we let you go, because we've been talking your head off and all of this. I got like two more questions. Yeah. But (laughs) what I want to ask is, you know, as scouts, we're charged with um, with with trying to help make things better, to do our best to be helpful and to be courteous and kind and all these things that we are charged with. How as scouts can we help the city of Chattanooga and help in our outdoor space to make it a better place? Wow. Um, 
Uh, I just handed you my card too, so you're good to go. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, we, we have a little line. Let me let you into the park world. We have a line. We say there's no such thing as a great city without great parks. Mm-hmm. And then we even drill it down. We say there's no such thing as a great park without a great Eagle Scout project in it. And I, <laughs> I, I seriously dare you to find a park in America without an Eagle Scout project in it worth a darn. Hmm. Um, those are big deals. And they're big deals for what the kids learn in the process. Mm-hmm. They learn to love place. They learn to love land. We think those we share those same values, but they also are giving back. That's a big one. Um, the second one is, is and I think y- y'all live it as well as I do, that last kid in the in nature thing, where getting the electronics at least out of the hands, and and and, and this is the world according to me, I, I think being scared is okay as a kid to be outdoors and be freaked out. I think it's okay to be in the whitewater raft in the New River Gorge and, and be pushed to your limits a little bit. I think it actually builds character, if we can still say those things. And working with us to produce those activities in Chattanooga, we would love to do through outdoor chat or through anything else, uh, to program these parks, to introduce the magic, the mystery, sometimes the scariness, most of the time the beauty of nature around here. I, I'll go so far, and I know we're kindred spirits, and I think it produces better people. I think it produces better citizens. Um, I think we've got tons of data to back all this up. Uh, that, that scouting and scouts and the commitment y'all have to that produces better citizens, better democracy. And it produces people that care about place. And at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. We're all tied to these places. We need to be with folks who share that same value of place and say, yeah, we're gonna dig in here and make it special. So if there's a scout listening right now that would like to become a part of this, what's the best way that they can reach out to you? Is it through your website? Yeah, that's absolutely the best way. Um, I think, um, and I'll say this on a podcast, which is scary, Jared and I have work to do. I'd love to see Outdoor Chattanooga have its own troop. Um, I know he would too. Um, I'd like to see us drill that in and, and it might look a little different. And I think that's cool. Uh, it gets me excited. I know scouts have moved tremendously in some creative space. How can we do that here? Chattanooga should be on the front end of this. I mean, who are we kidding? This is, I mean, we can't be on the innovative curve here. We're, we should all just kind of leave. Um, so we're interested in exploring that with you all as well and activating Greenway Farms and activating the Blue Ways and teaching kids to catch their first red eye on North Chick and all these little bits and pieces, and eating moon pies. I, want, I don't want to leave out moon pies. <laughs> but all these little bits and pieces and drips and programs. There should be a scout badge to be like a Chattanoogan scout where you get, you do these things in Chattanooga and like you climb, you bouldered this climb. You can identify these six plants. You can identify these eight birds that come through here from Central America. There's so many neat little subset stories here. There should be a merit badge for being a, there should be like a Chattanooga merit badge. Uh-huh. Um, and the adults should be able to get it too. Um, so we want to play in that space with y'all. So I think what's so interesting about what you've said just now, and if we go back about 20 minutes ago and I'll connect it to, and that is we live in a place that is so accessible to unique nature, mm-hmm. uh, to unique settings, to unique wildlife, but we don't provide some of the programmatic opportunities to make that a reality. And that is something that a lot of communities do not have, right? Like when I was in Oklahoma City, I mean, you can't go to Oklahoma City to the Boys and Girls Club and say, hey, let's do a scout program and, you know, hey, just take your little, you know, minivan down and, you know, five minutes we'll be at a great park. We have this great experience that's unique and geared and created in an accessible way for specific populations. Chattanooga can do that. You know, and has has proven over time, you know, there's a lot of things in the work, um, you know, in terms of uh, disability awareness and accessibility and parks for for those um, population groups as well. And so I think Chattanooga cares about it. And I think the setting is there. The tools are there. But we've got to partner together on the accessibility part, because if we don't have a program, no one's going to join it. You, I mean, you said it very well. Look. And I, we're tracking it now. There, there are birds now, and I, I use birds because they're very powerful. Enough. There are birds now who are staging 
in Colombia to come to Chattanooga right now as we speak. And I don't know why it's a weird thought, but these migratory birds are moving across South America and North America to come here. They're coming here. Those sort of stories, when you get it to a kid or you get it to a family, it opens so many eyes for saying how many connections we have everywhere else and then how special this place I live is. And we have to do a job. I can't expect someone to learn that. We can do a better job of bringing that that story out. And that's just the bird story. We can do the same for water safety, for learning how to paddle. Every kid that grows up in Chattanooga should know how to swim um, because of all of our rivers that are around here. I would say they should learn how to paddle. That would be great, especially connecting back to our Native American First Nations here who were living on these rivers as well. Just layer after layer after layer. And you, you can tell in my voice, I get very passionate about it, but it's I think it's our distinguishing characteristic. Well, whatever we can do to help with that, I know scouts and scout leaders and parents. And and Kyle, you alluded to if you're a scout and you want to partake in a project, but I'm interested. I know we got to close out, Scott. Um, most of our listeners are either parents or leaders, okay? Which means at some point, they have involved their family in the outdoors. So what ask would you have of parents and leaders as it relates to Chattanooga's parks and outdoors? Um, slow down and, and, and maybe take your kids out, take your families out here locally and appreciate what we have locally. And maybe, if, maybe do it through the lens of thinking about our landscape for folks who don't have the financial means to maybe do a trip to the Smokies, do a trip to West Virginia. Help us think through how we can make these spaces be just as precious and special for folks that may not have the means to get out, or even more importantly, I would argue, when we can't get away, how do we keep our sanity and use and deploy these resources to help keep our own mental health, our own physical health in check, um, and bring those ideas to us? Um, we need to do, uh, we're gonna do a good job of, of listening. We work for, for the citizens, we're on this together. So, And if you're waiting for a bureaucrat to have all the answers, smart answers, man, you're gonna be waiting a long time, and it ain't coming. Um, so we, we really look forward to collaborating and learning and deploying all of people's different interests. Scott, for those that are listening, you would like to get more information online. Where shall they go? They should go to Chattanooga.gov and then hit the little Parks and Recreation tab. I can still say recreation because I think that's what it is there, a Parks and Outdoors tab. And you'll find all of our website, all the park maps you could want. If you're like, I don't know where a park is, it's a great list and a great map. You can make it a little little exploration over the weekend and check out all the information there and programs are starting to bubble up as well so you're going to see us start drill those out and for scouting just because it's, it's very hyper focused the outdoor chattanooga site is a great resource because it gives you guides to local assets it tells you about them where not just in chattanooga but in our region it's a great shortcut to learn where some of the outdoor resources are you can use for your own family Scott, thank you very much. Thanks. Scott Martin, Administrator of Chattanooga Parks and Outdoors. All right, it's time for us to take a quick break. For Jared Pickens, Cubmaster Kyle, I'm Sean Whitfield, and we've got more Scout on Chattanooga to come after this brief message. We'll be back with more. This is Scout on Chattanooga, the podcast. Youth leadership in our area starts as young as kindergarten, and it's called Cub Scouts. With lots of fun activities like camping and hiking and team games and shooting bows and arrows and so much, much more. Parents, you can log on to CherokeeAreaBSA.com and learn how your kindergartner through fifth grader can join the journey of a lifetime. At the Boy Scouts of America, our oath remains. A scout pledges to be kind, helpful, and brave. We're committed to providing a safe and welcoming environment where scouts can establish the foundations of character that will last a lifetime. Our approach ensures the Boy Scouts of America is building the youth of today into the leaders we'll turn to tomorrow. The Boy Scouts of America. Building character is in our nature. 
Visit scouting.org to learn more about scouting. And now, Scout on Chattanooga's Campfire Conversation. A sit-down with a real-life scout with an incredible story. All righty, friends, let's get into our Campfire Conversation. Cupmaster Kyle and Jared Pickens, and we have a special guest on with us from Troop 223, the one and only Boone Elliott. Boone, thanks so much for joining us on today's program. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Uh, I hear that you're down at UGA now. Can we yes. say go dogs real quick? Go dogs! For all for all the Tennessee faithful, I gotta say, one day we'll live up to our reputation. But in the meantime, go ball. But let's <laughs> let's get to talking about you. Um, you're an Eagle Scout from the Cherokee Area Council. Um, you have moved on to college. But I kind of want to start in the beginning. Where did when did you get started in scouting? So I got started in scouting at my elementary school, where I went from pre-K to eighth grade. Um, I started as a Tiger Scout in Pack thirty-two seventy-one um, there. And back then, I didn't really know kind of what scouting was. It just seemed like a activity that all my friends did every Tuesday night, and it was really just super fun back then. Um, my mom was our uh, den leader and it was, you know, it just seemed like a, just something that we all did. We would have a, like a court of honor every now and then I really didn't have a sense of calendar. I was, you know, I was like a first grader. Um, and then, you know, moving up to Wolf Cub, Bear Cub and kind of crossing over to Boy Scouts was when I realized like, Oh, like this is actually like a very useful and serious thing. So do you think that there's things that you learned in Cub Scouts that you didn't intentionally realize helped you along your trail and once you got to Scouts BSA? I think that and I think and I think this goes for all of scouting is kind of my perspective. I think that I look at it as less of physical tangible skills and more more life lessons, more moral lessons um and I think going back to Cub Scouts to me, that was kind of fostering a love for outdoors and creativity and curiosity. Um, I couldn't tell you what we did as Wolf Scouts or mm-hmm. Wolf Cubs, um, but I can definitely remember Cub and Partner going to Skymont, you know, shooting a rifle with my dad when I was 10, you know, staying up, making s'mores, you know, putting headlamps on and just running through the woods like that that definitely fostered um, some great memories and some great curiosity that then rolled over to, you know, Boy Scouts, which then led to, okay, let me apply that curiosity to this merit badge. Let me apply that curiosity to my Eagle project, you know, and pursuing those things. So Cub Scouts definitely, definitely helped me in those areas, I would say. The one thing I'm really interested in, Boone, is to hear your favorite memory of your mom when she was a gen leader? Was there a favorite activity or a meeting that you remember? Oh gosh. I think she would always participate with us in like the games and all the, all those things that we did that more so than not the dad is with the kid in. And normally, you know, it's always the mom that's kind of standing off to the side. Not my mom. She would just be in the midst with us just you know, getting her knees dirty. And it was, so, it was so funny. We'd play like kickball and shoot and it would be her time to kick and she would go up and, you know, there was either she would whiff and we would all, you know, we're 10 year olds. We would all just start laughing or she would just nuke it all over our heads. 
and things like that. And I was like, okay, like I, it would just make me think of my mom as like, just like such a cool person. <laughs> so how did you do in your Pinewood Derby? We got a lot of Pinewood Derby seasons kind of wrapping up right now. It's a sore subject because I remember I, I used to be so interested in like I don't, math and stuff like that. And so and my grandfather had a wood shop and me and my brother would spend so much time up there, like, you know, building all these prototype cars and putting the weights in different areas inside the car on the front, painting them different areas painting them different ways as if that would somehow affect how fast they went down the track. And then (laughs) after many prototypes, I finally had the one that I thought was going to be, you know, the glory, the winner, the champion. And then we got to the Pinewood Derby and I would get like fifth place. And I would just be like, what, how did I did so much? Um, And just year after year. And it was always such a sore subject to me. Because I still have my Pinewood Derby cars and I have my grandfather's Pinewood Derby cars, my dad's. Uh, yeah. But you you learn valuable life lessons from that, you know? It, yeah. it, it's okay to not win every single time. Yeah. I mean, I think the whole Pinewood Derby culmination at the church with all the people was maybe an hour. And I think we probably spent, for every one hour we spent at a real race, we probably spent 20 hours in my grandfather's workshop or going up and spending a weekend with my grandparents. So my parents could get rid of us. So I think I definitely had more fun in the process rather than the the real race. The result. So uh, you finished Cub Scouts, you're into Scouts BSA. How was that first, uh, that first year like for you? The first year was definitely probably the most memorable because I think it was, I mean, it was, it was around middle school and I can, definitely remember my brother was older. And so naturally I I would, you know, try to always piggyback off him, always stick around him. And he was always hanging out with the older scouts. And I can, I can remember all the older scouts. Um, and I specifically remember the first camp out, um, well, not the first camp out, first summer camp, mm-hmm. because I was always, I had never before the first summer camp, I had never been to a sleepaway camp. It was my first sleepaway camp. Oh, okay. Um, and I was the I, I was my first. That was my first time. I was I was always the kid in our family that never went to sleepaway camp, and I was always just so nervous for whatever reason. And my mom was just like, "I mean, you have to go." And my brother was there, and he was awesome. Um, and we would get there, and I I decked out the whole tent. I was like, "Okay, this is where we're gonna hang our towels." And my brother, I was like, "We're gonna keep it neat." And my brother obviously didn't follow that. Um, (laughs) it was so funny. And I remember it was probably, I remember when my mom dropped us off and I was just, I was bawling, you know, and she was like, she's like, all right, like, I'm not going to walk past like the the parking lot. Like you're going to go with your brother to the campsite and like, I'll see you in a week. It'll be fine. And probably within an hour we had, we had, you know, we had set up our tent we had gone off to do uh, the swim test and I had just forgotten about it. And then the week went by, you know, like that, that was definitely big props to my brother. Um, definitely big props to Mr. Meese, who was great. Um, and definitely the older scouts, we would play football. And I remember I got a touchdown. They basically handed it to me, but they were all <laughs> for me and I felt really included. And it was just like, okay, this is not as bad as I think it is. And that was definitely the most memorable part about 
my first taste of, you know, Boy Scouts. What camp did you go to? It was just Skymont. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which I, you know, I'd been to a thousand times. So do you have, you know, that kind of being one of your first Scouts BSA camping, you know, summer camp experiences, do you have a favorite outdoor trip or memory, you know, a hike or a trek or something you did on the water? What, what sticks out as your favorite outdoor memory from scouting? Mm, I think we did a probably three day, 20 mile backpack trip. I don't remember where it was, but I remember my dad went and it was the only one that my dad went with us. It was me, my brother and my dad. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you, and you know, my dad, so it, yeah. I love it. I love it. He, he was he was out of his element for sure, and we borrowed you know our our backpacks, and it it, it was him him trying to uh, to act like he knew what he was doing, um, and then within the first after after about the first night, he kind of just let us take the reins, and he just kind of sat back. And every now and then, I'll, I'll come across pictures from back then, and I remember I was in like a headband phase with Warren. <laughs> So I had a headband, you know, holding on my hair back. Um, and my brother was like, had some sunglasses on with his, he had like gel in his hair that he brought. And it was, it was just so funny. And then my dad's just standing there, like collared shirt tucked into his, to his khaki shorts. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Best story ever. So Jay, funny. I hope you're listening to this podcast recording. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I know um, just from talking to so many people whose families have gone through scouting boom, that the story that you just shared will probably be dearer to him than it is to you. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yes. Yeah. Sorry for throwing you under the bus, dad. So during your time, uh, on your trail to Eagle, what was probably one of the biggest challenges that you faced? Hmm. I would definitely say, and this doesn't really, it's not much of a, uh, a BSA thing as much as it is a me thing. I think I definitely, I definitely was clouded by other things. Probably, you know, once I got to high school and, you know, all this new world, you start thinking about college, you start thinking about, you know, whatever you do. I did basketball, I did sports. Those become amplified. You meet all these new friends, you have all these new interests, you know, you want to do all these things. So to me, it's like, okay, scouting kind of took a back seat. And come junior year, uh, my mom and I like sat down and she was like, we need to like, you need to do this. And I was like, you know, me being a sophomore, that age of, you know, that age of a youth, I'm just like, oh, mom, whatever, whatever. And then she was like, you know, okay, okay. She gave me a little freedom. And in time I realized I was like, this, this isn't something to take lightly. And if, you know, it deserves more respect than what I was giving it. And then in turn, when I, you know, started to give more respect towards scouting, then I kind of fell back into all the things I, you know, really loved about it and appreciated about it, which made the final push towards Eagle, you know, sweet. And it made it something that I was really excited about. Talking about your Eagle, um, you had a pretty unique Eagle Scout project. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's a nonprofit in Chattanooga, which is where I'm from, called La Paz. Um, it's a nonprofit for the Latinx community in Chattanooga. And it's basically a one-stop shop. They do it all. It's easy to describe as empowering and encouraging the Latinx community in Chattanooga. Um, and so I volunteered with them in high school as a translator um, and just helping out. And so they were expanding 
and moving to a new building after probably six or seven years of being in kind of a, just an old house. So they were expanding to an old fire hall just down the street. And so I'd helped them that summer moving all their stuff to the new fire hall and got to see kind of the construction uh, and renovation that went into that. And so through all that, they had, obviously the fire trucks had a huge driveway. And so the director was telling me that they were going to have a bunch of events there. And that would be the front door, the big fire, the big garage doors. That would be a big space where they have events and I was thinking as, you know, as I would spend time there, the street that was on that, you know, the fire hall was on just a busy street, people flying by. And I'm thinking, you know, you're going to have families, you know, with kids and infants, there needs to be something out here on this, on this driveway patio space that kind of is an aesthetically pleasing build, but also from a safety standpoint, like there needs to be something here too indicate that this is a space kind of block it off, but also be functional. So my Eagle Star project, we planned and built a series of planter boxes and benches, kind of a combo in a sort of an L shape. So it would be planter box, bench, planter box, bench, you know, and so on. Um, Probably about two foot deep benches, pretty big, sturdy benches, but also detachable. So if you know, a car, a food truck needed to come on the patio. The ladies working at La Paz could just detach the benches and planter boxes, move them off to the side um, and then put them back when they, they needed to use them. And the other day, actually, my mom sent me a picture when she went over there and the benches are still there. The stain looks great. The, the, the plants are, you know, they've grown a lot. Um, so it was great to see that probably, you know, a year and a half, two years after they still look great and they're being used. I like how you found the place and the organization that you wanted to do the project for, and then dived into diagnosing some of their needs. I think that was a, a great process. And uh, I think it was an exceptional uh, proje- uh, project. I actually remember visiting, I think I visited there um, shortly after the project was done. And uh, you wouldn't know that your benches and the landscaping you did weren't a part of like an architect designed plan. So it looks really great. So great job. Thank you. I will say my grandfather was a big part and I get me and I gave him the mentor pin at my uh, Eagle Scout ceremony and throughout the whole thing, he was, he was uh, my mentor through all that. And like I said, for the Pinewood Derby, we grew up in his wood shop in Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, and it was my, I would say my Eagle Scout project was probably one of the last like times that me and him could do a project together, uh, in his wood shop. And he could, you know, really, you know, we could, we could tackle the, the project. Um, and I knew that that was really special to him before I went off to college and kind of started the rest of my life. That was one final thing that we could do together, which he really enjoyed because he was a Boy Scout too. Um, so he really, and I, I remember when I gave him the, the mentor pin, he kind of hugged me and like, and he whispered some kind words in my ear. Offline, you were telling me that you were going into intended finance as you're, or you're working on some finance stuff at UGA. Um, was the finance part of your Eagle Scout project? Was that particularly interesting to you to figure out part of that plan and how to execute, making sure that all of your, all the funds were covered and everything? Yeah. So I've always kind of, thought that uh, economics and kind of just finance in general was interesting. And so that was definitely part of my project that I put more emphasis on. And of course, it's rightly 
So you're going to need funds and you're going to need, you know, you're going to need to be able to keep the book straight. Um, and so the whole, yeah, the whole fundraising aspect and kind of money managing aspect was something that I enjoyed doing, um, making all these spreadsheets, probably doing more than I should. And I thought that throughout the whole project, I would kind of plan ahead for sort of finance related aspects. You know, this is how much the lumber is going to cost. Here's how much taxes, all the little things, all the intricacies that probably I didn't even need to put as much time and thought of into it as I did. I kind of just chose to, which I think will translate over to me pursuing a finance degree here at Georgia. Very cool. Well, just back in December, we learned that you were the Eagle Scout Project of the Year. So let us say congratulations again to you for being the Cherokee Eagle, uh, the Cherokee Area Council Eagle Project of the Year. And that Eagle Project has actually led you uh, onward and upward, as they say. There's uh, something new that just came across a few months ago in your life, other than, you know, starting college. On October 14th of last year, my dad had a cardiac death episode while he was at work. And I remember getting the call when I was sitting in the dining hall here at UGA and it was like my whole world turned upside down. So I went back to Chattanooga that night and spent the next week with my dad and my mom uh, and the rest of my family in the hospital. And I was in Chattanooga for 10 days and then I came back to UGA and I would still call my parents every day, text them, call my brother. And he was in, uh, studying in Spain at the time. So I don't can't imagine what that must've been like for him, but for me, it was definitely very impactful. And even the months, the months uh, post that, it was still very prominent part of our family's lives. Uh, we would still talk about it every day over break. It's, I mean, my dad has to take his medicine. We have to drive him places. Um, so it definitely has been uh, taking a front seat in my whole family's day to day in our lives. And you know, so I'm sitting in my dorm room before break in Georgia. And I'm thinking, okay, I can't be in Chattanooga all the time to kind of help my mom and help my dad. And I think about this all the time and I don't want to like, I don't want to kind of just brush it off because this is something that is very serious and definitely also impacts a lot of other people. Um, Not just his story, but the stories of families that this has also happened to. So after kind of talking with my mom and talking with some other people, I ended up starting a nonprofit called Life Preserver Organization because the defibrillator that uh, the doctors had surgery to implant in my dad's heart, the doctor referred to it as a life preserver um, for my dad. So I thought that was a fitting name. And basically what Life Preserver Organization, uh, the goal is, is to fundraise to install AEDs and fund basic CPR training for uh, fraternity and sorority houses on UGA's campus and hopefully for other college campuses around. Um, And so I am excited to say that as of Wednesday, the first AED has been installed in the Chi-Fi house here at UGA, which was very awesome. We had a lot of guys helping us with that. And that was kind of a culmination. Um, it's been probably probably two months since I first started kind of planning this. And since I've talked to, I can't even count how many people, uh, chambers, chamber of commerce, people in Atlanta, you know, CPR instructors in Alpharetta, 
UGA, uh, you know, teachers and professors, you know, other nonprofit leaders, community foundation workers, and just talking to as many people as I can, trying to get as much knowledge as I can. And I'm still kind of working on growing. And this is definitely the heat of everything, you know, trying to do all these aspects at once, but still kind of still pursuing this mission of, you know, one house after the next, one person after the next. Um, And also, you know, making people aware of something that could happen to anyone at any time and how important it is to, you know, take an hour or two to learn basic CPR, learn basic AD. And so the support has been something that I could have never imagined. Um, The support from, you know, students, the support from parents, the support from people I don't even know who have come up to me. And, you know, it's just getting started. It's only been two months. So it's something that I'm definitely very grateful for. Uh, I'm very happy to do it. I'm excited for, you know, what's ahead. Um, And it's something that, you know, I'm passionate about and something that I have, you know, taken a bad thing and turned it into a, a good thing. And, you know, it's something that I'm more than happy to spend my time doing. The thing that I hope that everyone listening uh, can tell is that, you know, Boone was really affected by his scouting experience and his life experience. And those two things together um, are propelling him to do good work out in the community and uh, appreciate you sharing your story. And uh, hopefully it is encouraging to, to many, many others. Boone, if somebody wants to um, help with your nonprofit, how can they get in touch with you? So they can um, get in touch with you through Instagram right now. So we have an Instagram, Life Preserver Org, O-R-G. Shortly, we're working on a website right now. Um, I've been talking to a lot of people about the best way to, to build that Um and if you're listening and you chances are, you know, somebody that knows me, obviously word of mouth is awesome. Well, Boone, thanks so much for coming on the campfire conversation with us today. Congratulations on your Eagle, your Eagle Scout project, being a freshman at UGA, your nonprofit and many, many more great things to come for Mr. Boone Elliott, I'm sure. Thank you so much for having me. For more Scouting Spotlights or to get your son or daughter involved in scouting, go to CherokeeAreaBSA.com. Now back with the final word, here's Sean Whitfield, Jared Pickens, and Cupmaster Kyle. As we continue Scout on Chattanooga, I am Sean Whitfield along with Jared Pickens and Cupmaster Kyle. Gentlemen, there is no question whatsoever. I think we all three learned a lot in our conversation with Scott Miller, or excuse me, Scott Martin, with uh, Chattanooga Parts and Outdoors. Uh, wow. Full of information, and I hope all of you out there listening today uh, feel the same. Absolutely, yeah. It's fascinating to hear. And we were talking a little bit offline, me and Sean, and I said, you know, it's one thing um, for a, a city like ours to get somebody who's really good at facilities, you know, to be the head guy or girl, and it's another thing to get someone who's really good at programs. The thing I like about Scott is he really is condensing a good, strong vision. He's providing the analysis that we need to be able to know where we need to make up the difference. Mm -hmm. And he's bringing a lot of energy and enthusiasm to the table, which I I think I can speak for all of us is fairly contagious. Yeah, I would agree. And that's not just good for Chattanooga as a community, but I mean, it's especially good for us as scouters, which, you know, we want to put the outing in scouting, if you want me to use that (laughs) 
old you know phrase or whatever Boy, but, aren't you clever and i mean we <laughs> we live in such a fantastic area to be able to do that and don't even have to travel all that much at all and you know i almost sometimes think that you know we need to take a step back and think about just how accessible the outdoors are to us in this area compared to other regions of the country absolutely as someone who lived in the great city of oklahoma city <laughs> i can tell you yeah yeah we got it we're fortunate just if some good friendly advice i wouldn't brag about oklahoma city compared to chattanooga <laughs> hey i will tell you this i will tell you this and scott's not online oklahoma city had great parks and rec they did great yep there were parks hmm. literally everywhere probably because it looks like you know, you ever seen like the John Ford Westerns, you know, and John Wayne's kind of drifting off through the Badlands? I'm not old it just, enough, Jared. It just, yeah, thanks, Sean. <laughs> um, that's how it looks like in Oklahoma City. There's really not much landscape. So you got to have some parks. Plenty of tornadoes of out there for those parks, too. Yeah. Yeah. It works good, you know. It moves the parks around from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Cleans them up oh, real good. Uh, All right. Back to you, Kyle. Y'all ain't right. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, we, we've just got a few minutes left. Jared, is there any uh, top stories, hot topics that we should share with our listeners uh, before we wrap up today's Scout on Chattanooga? Oh, man. Hot topics? A- anything that any newsworthy Ooh, information? I have something. That we could cover in a few minutes? Sure. This, the month of February was the 113th anniversary of scouting in america that's correct yeah mm-hmm. yep that's so a good one go. what else you got kyle then back to you <laughs> <laughs> now well, I think, I think, is, is anybody in scouting selling anything right now well hold on i know kyle's gonna end with that okay yeah. i know he's gonna end with it so I'll, I'll steal it and say i think that one thing that happens annually every single year is in about february and march everything is starting right as far as council activities and, and camps and all those kinds of programs. And so uh, we're kind of in a lot of the planning stages right now for a lot of that. Um, and we just closed off a terrific year last year, as many of you well know. And so it's this interesting transitional period with scouting. And during this transitional period, the main important thing that happens is that Cub Scout packs and Scouts BSA troops are doing a lot of really important work in their units. Mm-hmm. And I know my den is doing it. I know Kyle's pack and his dens are doing it. And so that's the that's kind of the untold story of scouting is what happens between January when you kick back off after the holidays and March when it gets warm enough you can actually go camping and do things. Yeah, and now there's a lot of a uh, lot of like weebelows that are becoming to transition uh, over to Scouts BSA. You have that going on right now, and a lot of people are doing community service projects around that too. Uh, I will drop that our community service project for Blue and Gold. We try to do a community service each time is we're actually having a sock hop. So we're asking kids at our Blue and Gold Banquet to bring socks that we will be able to donate because that's that's actually something uh, in the homeless community that doesn't give an, that's not given out as much as uh, clothes and things, but everybody needs a pair of socks. So, But it's not a dance. It's it, a donation of your socks. Well, yeah, bring new socks, and then you can run around in just your socks and have fun before the Blue and Gold Banquet starts. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> So is like we're going to play old 50s and 60s music before because it's a sock hop. Yeah. Uh, is anybody in scouting selling anything? Maybe anything a for bit. sale. <laughs> well, let me introduce you to what we, is it the card master. Is it what's the we got the Moon card Pilot. commander, the card commander. Yeah, that's what we, that's what we <laughs> decided a, on. I feel like you need a duck call. <laughs> 
if you're going to be the we card We were going to go with card czar, but uh, Jared didn't like that very much. It's a little so. political, you know. <laughs> uh, we have a fantastic <laughs> camp card going on right now. Uh, we have a lofty goal set at the council level that we would try uh, that we're trying our best to accomplish, and we can't do that without the scouts that are listening to this podcast and their parents. Uh, scouting is all about earning your way. And it, this is your opportunity to get out and sell those cards for $10 each. And your unit is able to keep half of that and uh, take it back and use it for whatever um, the case may be. Maybe go into summer camp, um, go into Cub Scout summer camp or uh, spring cubbery, all kinds of stuff. And then we have a, a lot of really cool show and sell locations that our um, scouts are out selling every weekend at Tractor Supplies, Elders Ace Hardwares, um, well, we're even selling at uh, Sport Clips on Gum Barrel Road uh, on Saturdays and Sundays as well uh, as Food Cities and Sportsman's Warehouse as well. So lots of different places that you can go and see a scout unit and be able to pick yourself up a card for just $10 and you're going to help a scout earn their way. And it's a good card, too. It's got a lot of great deals on it. Sounds good. Jared, any final words before we go today? Well, you know... I don't do this on every single podcast, but I definitely want to thank all of our scout parents and volunteers. You know, the spring we mentioned, there's a lot of unit activities going on. There's a lot of people who put in a lot of really strong work. Our cub masters, our den leaders, our scouts BSA leaders, scout masters. So thank you to what each of you are doing um, to get us through and get us to summer camp, right? Because from now until spring, it's a race to summer camp. So thank you for what you're doing for these young people. Very much appreciated. All right, that sounds great. Well, we're going to have to wrap up this uh, today's podcast because, boys, I've got to continue my impeccable attendance to scout board meetings. <laughs> and I have to get to the executive scout board meeting as soon as we're done here. you got an hour. I want to be early. It's a long walk. You know, I haven't missed one <laughs> since the time before last. <laughs> uh, we haven't heard that laugh in a while. I needed that today. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> uh, and for more information online, where shall people go? Uh, you can always, always find us at CherokeeAreaBSA.com. Check us out on Facebook by finding the Cherokee Area Council. Make sure it's the Tennessee one and you're good to go. All right. That sounds great. That's going to do it for this edition of Scout on Chattanooga. Go to the Scout on Chattanooga Facebook page for any suggestions or comments about today's podcast. Click on the subscribe button at your favorite podcast platform for all future podcasts. For Jared Pickens, Cubmaster Kyle, I'm Sean Whitfield, and thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Scout on Chattanooga, presented by the Cherokee Area Council BSA. To learn more about scouting in the Tennessee Valley, join a unit, or donate and become a friend of scouting, visit CherokeeAreaBSA.org. And be sure to join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And use the hashtag TNGAScouts to stay up to date with the youth leaders in our area. Thank you.